0: With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to TNTradio.live. You're with, with Lembet on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. TNT. Welcome back wherever you are in the world. Uh, thank you very much for joining me, Topic, here on TNT, the home of free speech, where we express opinions, but we separate those from facts. You don't get fake news here, but you do get the opportunity to form opinions based on, well, I hope, our very informed guests. And we dig deep, on our show because we have the time to do it. Uh, I'll get to some of your comments in a minute. Uh, Thanks. Do keep them coming. Go to TNT, join the chat. You get the most out of the show if you also follow the chat where often there are parallel conversations uh, going on and that's certainly what's happening today. You'll also find the phone numbers if you want to call in there. Uh, Joining me shortly is Anthony Weber. He's a real champion of free speech, an outspoken critic of Britain's uh, apparently endless investment in Zelensky's uh, antics in Ukraine. We'll ask him about that. That. and on more broad subjects as well. It's a petition, which uh, is particularly interesting to me as well. Uh, before we speak to Antonito, I want to draw your attention to another contradiction in British political life. Uh, the Icon of the Seas is the world's largest cruise ship, 1,197 feet long. It's got space for almost 8,000 passengers, 8,000 guests. It's been launched to the great fanfare in Miami, I believe it's starting its uh, maiden voyage. And why you ask, do I mention this? Not because I just like cruising. I love cruising. I used to be a speaker on cruise ships and some of my best years, uh, were after I was an MP and I spoke on cruise ships, but it's because on the one hand, we're told there's a climate emergency. On the other hand, people celebrate these massive ships, which start somewhere, go nowhere, and then go back to where they started. The only purpose of cruising is pleasure. I ask you, why is it okay for us to promote cruising, uh, which probably requires roughly a a gallon of fuel every 30 feet or something like that, but at the same time, we're not allowed to drive diesel and petrol cars to work. Could it be that the politicians don't take their own climate crisis claptrap seriously? Now, to stress again, if you haven't gone cruising, I recommend it. It's an effortless five-star way to see the world from a window and from safety. Uh, If you've got children, they're always entertained, and you can never keep up with the diary of events on a ship. But you can do it without guilt. That's my suggestion, because as long as we let people go cruising, as long as we allow our world leaders to fly around 70,000 people going to Dubai to tell us not to fly at the climate conference. As long as those things happen, I can assure you, you have nothing to feel guilty about if you expend a few gallons of fuel in the pursuit of happiness. In addition to that, we see a total mess in the British energy sector. And I know this is also a problem in many other countries, where the vain ambition of replacing reliable forms of power such as coal and gas and oil and nuclear have been undermined by this vain attempt to power first world economies with third world technology. I'm talking about unreliable forms of tech, uh, which are often billed as cutting edge like solar panels and wind turbines. But they take us right back to the Dark Ages, where if you remember water mills and turbines, (laughs) were used, albeit in a different form, to power a fairly agrarian society. If you build an entire energy system on processes that don't generate power when it's dark or when the wind doesn't blow, prepare for trouble, prepare for blackouts, prepare prepare for an economy and a manufacturing sector which is held below the waterline. I promise you, the most successful economies in the 21st century will not be powered by wind and sun, they'll be powered by fossil fuels and nuclear. It is an irony indeed, that while many countries in the West are talking about reducing their carbon dioxide footprint, the world has experienced a record level of oil consumption in 2023. And that's because the leaders who know, know not to lead with renewables. So we've got the icon of the seas setting sail on an uncertain sea of vainglorious endeavor by the very uh, passengers who come from countries where you're not allowed to drive diesel or petrol cars without being pariahed for being naughty. You work it out for yourselves. The good news is we'll be discussing all of this in the third hour of the show with Harry Wilkinson from Net Zero Watch. But for now, let's return to another endangered species, and that is the rebels who speak out against the orthodoxy. And joining me in just a moment is Anthony Webber, one of those rebels, and we're gonna find out what it means to believe in freedom in a world where freedom is canceled. All of that with me, Lembred Opik, right here on TNT keeping the commitment
1: 24/7. I come to you for facts. I really appreciate what you and your team
0: do. Today's News Talk Radio TNT. Welcome Anthony Webber to TNT. Thanks for joining me this morning.
1: Hello. Hello. So um you couldn't have summed up the current situation but I fully agree with that. Um and it's one of the other areas where freedom to speak on those issues is rather restricted and it is coming to the point now where on certain issues if your views are sort of out of line with the established globalist uh, viewpoint then you're somehow not allowed to say them uh, and um, sadly in, in the uk and other parts of the world the last three years or so we've been very used to freedoms being taken away and uh, it effectively started in the UK when we had the uh, lockdown policies in March 2020 and um, many of us, to our surprise, found that when we wanted to uh, give alternative points of view, uh, they were just not mentioned at all. Uh, we, If we uh, wrote letters or made comments or went on protest for some reason, uh, they didn't exist. And I, I think one of the, the major things where where it all came to light was there were two marches in the UK, each of about a million people. And uh, I think it was on one of them, uh, the, the mainstream media, particularly the BBC, said that there were just a few thousand people on, on the march. So um, it, but having said that, it's all coming to light now because we've got the... COVID-19 uh, public inquiry, and uh, it's it's got various core elements which they keep on adding to, which I'm not against, because the more they look into, the better. Uh, and they certainly need to look into um, the the policies regarding the COVID-19 vaccines. But we did have a, um, a, a situation at Edinburgh where the COVID-19 inquiry moved there, and they actually um had some comments by one of the government's uh advisors and he was pointing out the uh the the policies of the bbc uh where they wanted to um basically support the the viewpoint of the government and i think one of the the key things he said um that even though they, the scientists and other key people, knew that the risk of dying from COVID-19 was 10,000 times higher with the over-75s than it was with the under-15s, the the BBC in particular were putting it across that it was quite normal for young people uh, to die of COVID-19. And... um, uh, it, it, even when these things were pointed out, it didn't uh, correct uh their, their you know what they were putting out. And it was also that there could be justification for the government's policies to uh start the lockdowns, uh, which we're increasingly having evidence now that they've been disastrous across the board in many, many ways. Um but um I mean, I I can remember, I mean, there are all sorts of bad things about these lockdowns and there are different types of them. But I can remember walking in a park and uh, seeing policemen in the park sort of checking that people were not sitting together, that they were sort of two metres apart and so on. And it was absolute madness. Um, But I think uh, if if we look at what's coming out about... uh, the government's reasons for lockdown. Again, I think it's going to be exposed that um, uh, the media, but in particular the BBC, were putting uh, this line uh, on all the other COVID nineteen policies. And I think the big thing which is going to come out in the future is that uh, the the allegations that the COVID nineteen vaccines uh, actually stop stop the spread of COVID nineteen. Uh, will prove to be completely false Uh, and of course we're seeing lots of instances of vaccine damage uh, which are being suppressed at the moment and there really needs to be an open debate. Uh, I mean my personal view, I believe in freedom, I don't really care what the answers are, but to suppress information is an absolute tragedy and this really does need to uh to stop. But we we know for instance that Sweden had a more uh successful policy on uh lockdowns had many less COVID-19 related deaths. Um uh but we I mean funny enough Sweden may not necessarily be the best example because there are other countries in the world where uh, their deaths were even less uh, because they 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 didn't even have uh, partial lockdowns. No,
0: no, uh, yeah. That's, that's, I just wanted to ask you about that. Uh, I have to say that it seems to me that I had I've had three vaccines. It's a bitterly regret now. I had the disease. I had the disease, and then after that, I was forced to have vaccines, uh, as if uh, everything we know about natural immunity had been thrown out the window. But my concern is this. You've cited uh, the state broadcaster in the United Kingdom and you've cited the government. In both cases, we have prima facie evidence that they didn't believe their own rubbish because you had the highest paid broadcasting newscaster in the BBC telling us every day to obey the government rules while he himself was trying to break those rules. And we had uh, Secretary of State for Health who was telling us to obey the rules while He infamously was caught on camera breaking the rules himself. We had a prime minister who was going to parties in Downing Street where they were bringing booze in, in suitcases. So it seems to me, Anthony, it was baloney. They didn't believe a jot of it themselves. And the chief uh, advisor, I believe, to the government, he was having an affair, breaking the rules as well, because the rules didn't apply to them. I just, I'm I'm gobsmacked by the Orwellian nature of how we were treated as a public.
1: And of course, I think there's far more to come out. In New Zealand, for instance, it came out that a lot of the politicians and senior governments and scientific officers never actually had the COVID nineteen vaccine. They were they had a, um, uh, they they were allowed to not do so, and one wonders has that been the case in the UK? Uh because if if I mean obviously uh because the COVID-19 vaccines were given emergency approval, that means that they haven't been fully tested. Um then uh, if you were a properly qualified scientist, you'd probably be pretty loopy if you uh allowed yourself to be one of those experimented on. And um, I think you mentioned that you'd taken a jab, and I think a number of other people did, because the, the whole line was, um, you're selfish. You, you don't want to protect other people uh, if, you, if you don't have the vaccine. And of course, there are other instances where uh, in the UK it was compulsory with, with, with health workers and uh, care workers, uh, resulting in a lot of people losing their jobs uh but uh did it actually do any good um and again uh no no debate on these things and um again, right back to the beginning because the BBC and others were not allowing free debate, we went down the road of having a long the wrong policy uh because uh we had the uh, Great Barrington Declaration where, uh, that was signed by thousands of medical professionals offering a, uh, an alternative way of dealing with COVID. And it was ignored by the then Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Uh, but it, it seems it turned out that was the right way. It was more a Sweden-type approach. Um, but we must never uh, go down the road of having freedoms uh, restricted Uh, and cover-ups and so on. We've seen it with uh, the Post Office. But um, we're we're going to have a similar situation with the Ukraine-Russian conflict because uh, it's actually the same. You you just cannot, uh, on the mainstream media in the UK, get a a rational discussion about the pros and cons of those policies. Uh, And it's a disaster for good management of uh, a country uh what what our public in the UK are not told but in the majority of the world we our credibility is going down very very fast and that's going down faster because we're being seen in the Israel Palestine conflict uh of, of actually taking sides yeah uh, I want to I want to I want
0: to get get into your very interesting views on Ukraine uh you've been Oh, quoted quite widely on your scepticism about throwing good money after bad towards Zelensky, let's do that in the next break. Just uh, in the next section after the break. Uh, just one last thing about the COVID uh, situation. Do you think that uh, if COVID twenty comes along, uh, British government and other governments around the world would succeed in locking down this, the 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 public again, or would the public simply ignore it?
1: It's difficult to say, because uh, the, the government uh, still seem to have a way of manipulating people, not just via the BBC, but they, they've they been using emergency uh, powers and also the power of advertising to manipulate other media as well. I, I think certainly there'd be more people uh, not prepared to comply than before. But it is interesting that they are trying a similar thing regarding measles because there's hardly any risk with measles, yet uh, they're trying to get everyone to mass vaccinate their children. Uh, And it's just not an impartial, um, evidence-based program because everything should be done on the basis of what is in the best interest of the patient. Yes,
0: Yeah, totally agree. Uh, I have to say that I'm really concerned about um, the toxins we're putting in children in the name Mm. of what looks to me like uh, arbitrary state control. Uh, In a few minutes time, I really want to talk about your views about the Ukraine situation. And unlike other uh, legacy media, we actually can have an honest debate here. Uh, You're listening to Anthony Weber, who is a free speaker, and somebody who swims up the river against the tide of conformity. More from him in a moment, here on The Lempotropic Show on TNT. TNT's Darren Denslow. Yeah, I am mean, talking about the illness, actually that has
1: done has been doing the rounds. Not have we only seen a, uh, a mass influx of people waving their COVID tests online. Look, I got a red line. It's like, oh my God, people has testing? Or people, you know, trying to encourage others to wear their masks um but there has been a talk of a
0: dry cough there have been doctors connecting. actually we've seen loads of cases of that uh, have you been suffering
1: from you know a bit of cough and flu or cold or COVID. Well, Darrell, I, COVID. I, I just i just did my eighth test uh, and okay. um I, i'm just gonna keep doing it until i get lines and lines why Well, because work's coming back up, isn't it? Digging deeper with
0: D.D. Denslow on today's News Talk TNT.
1: I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go. I I didn't think I'd survive, but I did ask for help and Covenant House was there for me.
0: One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there.
1: Covenant House helped me break the cycle of homelessness in my family. They gave me the love that I needed.
0: Over 2,000 young people will sleep safely in a Covenant House bed tonight. When youth who are experiencing homelessness have a hot meal, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love, they can overcome heartbreaking challenges and have a brighter future.
1: They just really, genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. I'm a, I'm a speaker, I'm an author. Covenant House really helped me and really helped mold me into the woman I am today.
0: If you or someone you love is asking for help, go to safeplacetosleep.org today.
1: Caution, you are about to hear.
0: Today's news talk and the voice of freedom. That's what this country's all about. TNT Radio. Welcome back. Uh Leonard Opic here for the next hour and a half or so, uh, talking about affairs of the day. And we dig deep on this show uh, because we have great guests with forceful viewpoints and opinions, as well as facts. We separate those two so that you can have your opinion. You can form it for yourself without being spoon-fed it according to what the state wants you to think. Uh, one such uh, subject, uh, something which is often oppressed if you don't see the right thing on the legacy media is the question of the Ukraine conflict. Uh, As you I'm sure know, uh, the ongoing dispute between Ukraine and Russia has drawn the attention of world leaders and also billions and billions of dollars of investment uh, from the West as a proxy war is fought against Russia. Who's in the right? What should we know? And why are we spending so much money there? Uh, with me still is anthony weber anthony thanks for continuing to be on the show uh you have said some fairly outspoken things in terms of the mainstream opinion about the ukraine situation what have you said and why
1: well um first of all thanks for inviting me to comment on this um i think a lot of people right at the beginning of this conflict actually had sympathy for what they perceived was the underdog uh Ukraine. Uh, But then sort of very quickly, people like myself, who likes to look at the facts, uh, discovered that it wasn't as clear as was made out, and that in fact, uh, NATO countries had been uh, arming Ukraine, and there'd been this conflict, uh, there had been this uh, coup d'etat, which had been inspired by NATO countries in Ukraine, where a peace-loving president had been disposed, and cutting a long story short, after some further elections, uh, Zelensky was elected, uh, ironically, on a platform of peace. Um, Yet um, all this bombing of um, mainly uh, Russian-speaking Eastern Ukraine was going on, and the, the situation was getting to the point uh, and to be fair to President Putin of Russia, he gave ample warning of what may happen uh, and tried to stick to what was in the mi- mixed accords. Uh, but it, eventually to protect the Russians who, in uh, eastern Ukraine, uh, it was felt he had to intervene. Now, what then happened, as we know, there was this this conflict uh, and we know there was nearly a peace agreement, uh, but Boris Johnson uh, wrecked it by flying over to uh, Ukraine very quickly and offering a few billion of arms and other aid. And since that tragic decision, because there would have been peace, um, there's been an absolute horrendous amount of slaughter uh on the front in eastern ukraine and it's been said that ukraine have lost up what, upwards of 1.3 million men uh in deaths wounded um missing in action captured and so on and apparently the russians have lost around about ninety thousand equivalent uh of course it's painted the other way around that, that the russian r- losses are terrible but what we've got to look at in the UK and other countries who've been supporting uh, the Zelensky government is we've been sending people to their deaths. Uh I've had reports through that some of the people going to the front line now have barely had a couple of weeks training because you've got these squads going around in uh, Ukraine picking up people to go to the front line. Uh, there's no proper democracy in Ukraine anymore because they've banned Uh, a number of political parties. They've also banned a number of uh, opposition media. And they've also postponed the elections until after the conflict is over. So basically that means President Lezinski and uh, many of these Nazi-orientated people who are influencing him uh, stay in power. And it's a tragedy. Um but a bigger tragedy because uh Ukraine's lost about 10 million of its people who've uh, left as um refugees. Most of them have gone to Russia, but others have gone to Poland, and uh I think it's about two hundred who've gone to the UK, but apparently they're costing us three billion pounds a year. Um but what what are we actually doing because our policy has actually ended up with russia being strengthened being more respected in the world um it's not what we're told by our own media but if we look at the rest of the world being <clears throat> most of the countries bar some of the nato countries uh, and one or two others then we're we're looking at a situation where uh you go back a few years ago uh britain has a, uh, uh, had a very good reputation in diplomatic circles uh but now it's getting into the, the vein of being considered as a sort of puppy dobs to the united states and that 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 doesn't come across very well at all but uh, no in, in terms in terms of what you said just going back a bit uh
0: anthony uh zelensky never has, has never impressed me as as a leader to be honest with you uh he, like me he was a comedian unlike me he still seems to be a comedian because he goes to uh america and however much money america gives him he says it's not enough then he hears mm-hmm. that joe biden's flying across to israel to meet benjamin netanyahu and says i want to come too and they say don't come i guess because he's becoming a public relations problem now mm-hmm. why Does the West still seem to think that Zelensky can win this when the supply lines are thousands of kilometers long for him and for the West? Well, Russia doesn't have really a supply line at all. And and it has essentially limitless resources and it doesn't have an angry popular, well, there are objections in Russia, but by and large, from what I hear on the inside, the population is fairly acquiescent.
1: Well, I, I think at the start, um, uh, Zelensky was used uh, as a very good propaganda means of supporting the globalists in Ukraine. Uh, and it's now coming to the point where that propaganda is not working, uh, that even countries which were very friendly towards Zelensky are sort of turning him away, and you gave the uh, Israel example. And of course, even in the America, uh, where a lot of politicians, they want to do anything to weaken Russia, uh, they're starting to see that they haven't got the money to defend their own borders and the American society is being torn apart. Uh, So, it's unlikely that they'll continue to get the same amount of support they had there. But where America's uh, in common with the UK is their citizens have not had the rights of say on their involvement in Ukraine. In the UK, we've had a government line, which has been totally supported by the opposition, which means that um, already uh, we spent £12 billion pounds of money on military and other aid. Uh, it's probably actually more than that, but it, the, the government's admitted £12 billion. Well, what could you do with £12 billion? We would have, be, have more money for uh, the councils, for the NHS, for a whole range of needs we have in the UK. And we're being told there isn't money for this, there isn't money for that. Uh, and... It's uh, certainly not putting the UK's interests first. But on top of that, these sanctions against Russia have bounced back against us. And we've had uh, huge rises in energy and the cost of living, inflation, uh, and many other effects of this policy. And you'd have thought before embarking on this policy that some of the civil servants would have said to the government, look, this is not a good idea. It's going to cause huge damage it's not in the public's interest uh and i would argue there's never been a public interest or strategic interest in uh the uk having this policy uh so what one of the things i've done aside from being a political commentator is i have started up a petition literally only a couple of days ago for there to be a referendum on this issue uh, because it, it's just we how can we call ourselves a democracy if we are involved in two these massive conflicts uh which are costing the, the the public a huge amount of money if the public have absolutely nil say in them. Um, so tell, me, we, tell me
0: tell me what does that petition expressly call for, Anthony?
1: Well, it expressly calls it actually calls for two petitions because it's saying the public have not been consulted on the Israeli Palestine policies as well. So is to have a, a referendum on uh the UK being neutral in both those conflicts. Uh and you 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 go back in time, we there are certain parts of the world where it's always been better for the UK to be neutral. Uh Uh, when Britain had the mandate of Palestine up until 1948, uh, we were seen as very impartial, very neutral. uh, And certainly uh, in the past, you might remember, the uh, government at the time sent members of the Royal Family to Russia to have um, good relations with Russia because it was seen in our economic interests with rich in raw materials and other valuable uh products and president putin actually was invited to buckingham palace so it was recognized then that it was good to have friendly relations with russia but now uh it seems that um it's all right for russia to be the bogeyman and to hate russia and i think it's very illiberal to be quite frank to uh uh go about encouraging hatred of uh, people in another country and hatred of a country. And 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 we've actually seen it in particular in places like uh, uh, Lithuania, Estonia, Latvia, where uh, even though they've got sizable Russian-speaking populations, that um, there's a lot of discrimination going on. Now, do we want to go back to a world where there's hatred, between people and discrimination uh, uh, and that to me that's not a good thing I, I believe not just in free speech but being tolerant of other people and um, it it's much better if we seek peace with Russia which has become a democratic country whatever its faults is no longer a communist country yet we've been driving Russia into the arms of Communist China and North Korea uh, because of our absolute hatred and I think the damage caused by these policies has been horrendous not just to the UK but to uh, millions of people in the Ukraine because we should be saying no more because the moment we stop supporting the current government in Ukraine, that's the day when Ukraine will sign a peace treaty with uh Russia. Um, because right Ukraine cannot last for more than a, a week or two without the aid we we, the British public, the American public, are propping up Ukraine, we're paying their salaries, we're paying everything <laughs> And it's a disaster because at the same time, their economy is weakening and they're rich in raw materials, which is another reason why that there's this conflict on, because certain vested interests want to get their hands on them, which is why uh, Ukraine has signed a deal with BlackRock uh, hedge fund, And uh, Zelensky has basically sold out his country to a bunch of financiers so what what are they fighting for there? What what? There's nothing to fight for. They're sending these people in the front line like the First World War, yeah. and uh, it, it's it's terrible. And people should be punished for doing that. The uh, the situation you describe
0: is interesting in another way as well. I think Anthony, you said earlier uh, that it's difficult to get the airspace to put an alternative view. A friend of mine who's in public affairs was hauled up in front of his clients because he had dared to suggest there were two sides to the story and uh certainly if you watch the the legacy media it's all one-sided that we must support uh and so on but but i'm wondering if that story is becoming threadbare now because the public are getting bored of it. They thought it would be a quick in and out job, and it isn't, because it looks like the position's entrenched for the indefinite future. What do you think?
1: Um, Yes, I I think to an extent, although uh, they don't want to uh, carry on giving billions in aid, uh, and it's interesting in theory, you'd have an opportunity at by-elections to voice your objections, but as we stand at this moment in time, uh the reform party, which is standing in both those by elections, uh is supporting the government view on Ukraine. And we had Richard Tice, the leader, uh embarrassing himself and his party by going over to give medical aid. Why doesn't he go and give medical aid in Gaza or uh, the Sudan or uh, Yemen? Um, but it's just a cheap publicity stunt, uh, and I don't think it's going to do his party any good at all. If, if I was if I was advising
0: Reform UK, which is a party which is clearly eating substantially into the Conservative Party vote, what I'd have said to them is, stay out of this. You don't win any votes by drawing attention to your position on it. Stay neutral, a bit like what your petition is saying. Uh, but I suppose Richard Tice, the leader of reform, thought that he wanted to look like a statesman by going over there in a Boris Johnson kind of way. Uh, I doubt if what you're saying is right, that will have been a tactical error, won't it?
1: Oh, oh, oh definitely. <clears throat> I, I think before we got a chance, of getting votes regarding their anti-woke agenda and having a different view on immigration, although their view isn't really as strong as some people would like it to be. Uh, So they may well get a strong protest vote. But the thing is, they're not like, say, the National Rally in France, which has policies across the board which appeal to Greens, to Socialists, Labour, Conservatives, Liberals, and so on—they've got a bit of each. Whereas Reform is just seen as an alternative Conservative party, and that's what they—they've got to get right. So, uh, if you look back in time, uh, with both these by-elections, uh, UKIP in two thousand and fifteen, in one got nineteen point seven, and the other, I think, got about fourteen uh, percent. I think that's highly unlikely they'll get those sort of figures. Not impossible, but you have to remember there was a big issue the EU at the time. Um, but um, they, what, what, what's missing with reform is this mass uh, enthusiasm, which say you have you had with the national rally in France or with some parties say in in europe so um they they may get a fair number of those simply because people are, are fed up with uh yeah. I, I, being the yeah, same. I,
0: yeah I want to uh in in the next part of the show i want to talk with you about uh the state of freedom in this country and, and a little bit of, we'll start with uh, israel and palestine as well uh you're listening to lemotopic uh, my guest anthony uh has been quite an outspoken critic of government policy. I wonder what you think. Uh, I'll try and get some of your calls and comments in in a short while as well. Uh, This is the home of free speech. This is TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. This is one of those in case you missed it stories. But even if you saw it, it's so sick and twisted, you're going to want to see it again. James Carville, Democrat lapdog, tried to spread this trash. Just watch. There's a
1: story that talks about having hand cuts, and you can link to it. They don't look like cuts to me, they look like sores. And
0: I've asked a number of MDs, what medical condition manifests itself through
1: hand sores? And the answer is immediate and unanimous, secondary syphilis. All right, I think there's a good chance this man has the clap.
0: And Carville made it perfectly clear he was gonna spread this made up story just
1: as much as he could. Maybe the picture was doctored or whatever, but I, maybe the story goes somewhere, maybe it won't, but I'm telling you at one o'clock Eastern, I'm humping this thing like a young dog on old furniture.
0: <laughs> well, Dr. Carville was wrong. The syphilis turned out to be a paper cut that was gone later the same day. No more blood. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9pm Eastern Time, right here on TNT. You ever heard of a polyp? Sounds like a rare species of toad. Actually, it's a lump that grows inside me, your bowel. Look, I'm pretty sure if you had a strange lump growing on your forehead, you might get it looked at, right? But when they're growing inside me, nothing, nada. And the polyps I get can lead to Australia's second deadliest cancer. So, until there's a way to make them grow on your face, it's up to you to get me looked at. Got it? Lambert Opic on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Welcome back. We have Anthony Weber here on the show. We're talking about the things that you won't hear much about on some of the old legacy media because it's not comfortable hearing. Uh, We're talking and we have been talking about the Ukraine situation and Anthony's grave concerns about what we're doing there and what we're spending there and the cost not just to Britain, but to human life in Russia and also Ukraine. Lots of you uh, in the chat. Uh, Do go to TNT and uh, put your views as well. Hidden in Plain Sight says check out Agent Zelensky presented by Scott Ritter, a documentary made by uh, by Ukrainian nationals who know the inside. Uh, Blodders is saying Richard Tice is a a sycophant, uh, desperate to get in the inner circle, but not smart or smart enough for the World Economic Forum. And Just Bloke uh, says, correct, blodders, Sputnik Five was a viral vector vaccine, like the AZ one. Uh, that was quietly dropped very quickly in the United Kingdom. And that's a ongoing thread of conversation about vaccines that uh, really does, does go quite deep into it. And just one more, uh, uh, Hidden in Plain Sight adds, the Agent Zelensky documentaries are strangely hard to find. Someone doesn't want us to see them. Uh, So that is exactly where I want to continue with you, Anthony, Uh, the nature of free speech. And you've been a free speech campaigner, as am I, actually. Uh, What's happened in terms of censorship? I am a very public critic of the uh, climate change scam. I think that there is no climate emergency. But when you look on the internet, you can see the skeptical uh, reports, the scientific reports tend to get demoted. Could it be that there is indeed a kind of conspiracy now between the establishment and the modern high-tech networks to essentially curate what we're allowed to read?
1: I, I think there, there's a lot of merit in what you say. Uh, I think you only have to look at something like Wilkileaks now on certain subjects. And if you looked at the same subjects, say, a few years ago, and you'd get much more balance, much more uh, detail of facts. And um, you know, some WikiLeaks posts are actually really biased if you if you know the facts, and that applies to a lot of other things you would look up on the internet. So, uh, for some reason, we're getting a control of what we're searching online. Uh, we we know that the government has got these uh, units. Uh, which uh, supposedly are uh, to counter extremism, but their version of extremism uh covers a good half a dozen different areas. But basically, uh, you know, the climate change's policy of the government is one where if you don't agree with it, you're an extremist. If you don't agree with their uh policy on Russia in Ukraine, then you're an extremist. And and uh to an extent, even aspects of, um, you know, the the, the woke agenda, um, and um, there are just a number of of other issues where uh, you 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 get classified as, as an extremist, and therefore, because it's theoretically extreme, it doesn't get uh, the freedom of mention and the freedom of speech. Uh, and you look at something like question time, it's very, very rare with that programme that you get a full balance. So ironically, the one we had this week um, wasn't too bad, but it seems that if you're a foreigner who's come to live in the UK and you speak up for the UK, you're allowed to do that, but <laughs> if you're uh, you know, from the UK, it's almost heresy to speak up for your own uh, country. So we, uh, you know, native Britons, are, are often cheering people who speak up for freedom. And certainly you, you you're, I, know, I know with your family, many years ago originally came to the uk but you've constantly been speaking up for the good things about freedom and life in the uk and and this is you get a lot of support for it um but um we have got to somehow roll back uh on the issue of regaining freedom and effectively take back control so that they're they're these restrictions are taken away and it's almost like we're going to have a a a new part of a Constitution to guarantee uh, free speech because it's non-existent. And it it was interesting that uh, in the BBC, with criticism of the BBC regarding their lockdown policy, uh, they emphatically denied that they had been restrictive. Uh, So to me that means that if you look at an institute like the the institution like the bbc you you need a completely new board of governors uh made up of freedom loving people uh and that applies to a lot of government bodies government quangos, because uh it seems that they've all been taken over or nearly taken over by people who are going to go along with this actual globalist agenda uh that the, this, this, this this is an
0: interesting point uh in the next hour we're going to talk about the environment i i do feel this the truth has to be told which is why i so often return to the subject but the bbc the state broadcaster which has in its charter the commitment to be impartial has expressly and it seems to me rather pompously stated that they have dropped balance about the climate emergency. They say the science is settled, and therefore they do not need to have people who are sceptical about the human level of intervention in the climate. To me, Anthony, that is a barefaced abdication of their responsibilities. Because actually, if you look at the science, it is close to settled that human beings cannot be wrecking the climate and yet we've got to the situation and that's one example you've mentioned the Ukraine situation and to an extent they've got into hot water over Gaza as well uh, because they do seem to make editorial decisions and then stick to them
1: yes their their argument quite often is that they do allow for for balance and how they do this is any particular subject they pick some nutcase who so so, so happens to have another point of view uh and that person comes across very badly. Uh, They certainly did it with the the lockdown situation that none of the main players who are opposing lockdown were ever allowed a say, Uh, and they're doing it with the the, the climate situation, with uh, the Ukraine situation. I mean, I can say that uh, the BBC, amongst other broadcasters, have uh, refused emphatically to uh, mentioned previous petitions on the Ukraine-Russian situation. And it's absolutely well known that uh, if a petition is mentioned in the the media, it will get masses of uh, signatures. Uh, There was one example, GB News promoted a a petition. Uh, The next day, it got 40,000 signatures. So uh, their, their policy is not just to keep, so-called extreme views out but to not even allow so-called extreme petitions to be uh given public awareness uh and that and they that that is an absolute tragedy um but we we have to look at the fact that the media in the uk is even the local media is mainly controlled by a very small number of con- conglomerates so if those conglomerates have a policy uh don't give the other point of view on ukraine and russia or uh support the government's climate agenda uh it, it's very 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 difficult indeed to get um another point of view uh mentioned so uh very very difficult indeed yeah. um i'm go- i'm going to have an experiment with these two by-elections, because I've sent out the questionnaire to the candidates and uh, the, that, that will be given to the local media. And what quite often happens is the local media, even though it's the candidates' views on things, they just ignore these things, whereas they won't ignore um, questions to candidates if it's on a subject which they approve of if you see what i mean so yeah uh we've got mass censorship and the sooner uh, everyone wakes up to the fact that we've got this and we're free from it the better and I, uh, we, one second- we, we, I
0: when the there was a coalition running the united kingdom for a while between the liberal democrats my old party and the conservatives and to my amazement and to i think his eternal shame nick clegg the leader of the liberal democrats and there's a clue in the name liberal democrats said that he supported david cameron the conservative uh, prime minister's position that we should no platform we should cancel we should silence non-violent extremists now think about that people with extreme views who are not advocating violence or harm to third parties and nick clegg supported that position now When the Deputy Prime Minister from the Liberal Democrats is saying that, it tells you what a parlous state, the one party that should be supporting free speech is in. Uh, At that point, I wrote a book uh, called The Alternative View, warning that the party was heading for disaster, and of course, it it happened. And that's what Mm -hmm. I think is happening, Anthony. We have lost a core part of what it means to live in a free society, because I, I don't doubt some people will disagree with what you and I are saying on the programme, but they've got the right to hear it. And it seems to me, particularly with war and, uh, and the climate rubbish, the solution for those who expound their position is to silence the opposition rather than engage with it. And that really yes. bothers me, Anthony.
1: And I I, I, me. But I, I think there, it, there are already laws covering people saying things which incite violence. So, and also the public do not like people who incite violence, and they don't like people who are ultra extreme. Uh, so I don't think there's even any harm in people who are ultra extreme saying things which are not violent because they're just not going to be supported. But what what what's happened is people who have got quite reasonable points of view, but the government have classified them as extremists, they're not being given uh, a chance to put their views forward. And that's a number of quite rational points of view. Um, I mean, funny enough, one of those people who've experienced such censorship is Peter Hitchens, the columnist on Mail on Sunday. Uh, But... Uh, it was interesting during uh, the lockdown and the, amongst the BBC journalists, there were some WhatsApp groups who were secretly uh, WhatsApping their colleagues because they were concerned about all the censorship which was going on at the BBC. And they were acting like um, the underground resistance. But... Um, uh there certainly needs to be an inquiry about what went on there, but it's much more broad scale. And you were talking about the coalition government. Well, of course, that it was back then when this these units uh, to counter disinformation were started, uh, the prevent programmes and all these sort of things which uh, were presented to have good intentions. But if you read the small print, uh they were far worse than that they were taking away people's freedoms and liberties and it's absolutely essential uh you know to 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 get those back so yeah the um, most
0: the most interesting people to meet are those who i disagree with because i don't learn much from people who already agree with me i do learn a bit Uh, and to me the essence of what you have been doing as a campaigner is to actually put the well to quote my own book the alternative view are you uh, finally are you an optimist or a pessimist about the the next few years for British Civic Society
1: I, I I'm an optimist because um if I look at what I broadly course call, call the truth and freedom movement uh three or four years ago none, none of us were aware of each other's existence Now we are, we're in contact with each other, there's a lot of discussion about how to get independent-minded people into Parliament, into local government. Of course, there are a small number already, uh, but um, I'm I'm pretty optimistic that there's more awareness of uh, the problems we've got in society and what we need to actually do about it. So um, uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens Uh, whether there'll be a new political party or coalition of of independence. Um, I noticed that UKIP are having a a leadership election for a new leader in the next couple of months. Uh, I've always felt they missed an opportunity to be a a genuine party of opposition. So if they have somebody positive, they could break through the mould. But uh, I think... uh, We're
0: going to have to leave it there, but thank you, Anthony. Yep. It's so interesting to speak with you. That's Anthony Webber, genuinely, genuinely a free speaker who swims against the tide of conformism and want to know what you think as well. I'll read as many of your comments out. Thanks, Miley Bites. Yes, I like doing that because we're having a dialogue and a global one at that. Coming up next, we're going to be ta- talking to Duncan White about the environmental scam. Uh, what does the science tell us? I know, he knows, and you'll know soon as well. All of that on The Lemberdobic Show right here on TNT. Don't go anywhere.